Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Jackie Robinson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jackie Joyner-Kersey, Alex Morgan, John Elway, Aaron Rodgers. Those are just some of the athletic luminaries who have competed in the Pac-12. Dubbed the Conference of Champions, the Pac-12 has won more national championships than any other league. But that storied history started to fall apart last year after USC and UCLA said they would leave for the Big Ten. Then Colorado bolted for the Big 12, sparking a mass exodus Friday of five more schools. Now Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State face an uncertain future. Coming up on Forum, we look at what drove these dramatic developments and what they mean for college sports in California. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's hard to imagine West Coast sports without a Pac-12, but that's what college athletes, their athletic departments, and diehard fans are absorbing. Only four schools remain in the more than century-old Conference of Champions, Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. That's after USC and UCLA announced they were leaving in 2024. Then Colorado announced they were leaving. Then five more schools bolted last Friday. Here's Cal football coach Justin Wilcox after practice Sunday. This is really kind of shocking. Personally, it's sad. It's sad. I grew up, again, I'm going to first talk personally. I I grew up around the Pac-10, Pac-12 conference and watching it and being fortunate to be a part of it, coached in it for a long time. It's really sad. How are you reacting to the news? Listeners, what questions do you have? What Pac-12 moments will you never forget? What athletes are you proud the league developed? You can email forum at kqed.org, post on our social channels at KQED Forum, or you can call us at 866-733-6786. Joining me today, Joel Anderson, staff writer for Slate, where he also hosts the Slow Burn and Hang Up and Listen podcasts. Joel's a former reporter on sports, culture, and politics for ESPN and BuzzFeed News. Joel, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Ray Ratto is also with a staff writer for The Defector. Glad to have you on, Ray. Well, give it time. You may feel differently. <laughs> and Marisa and Jemmy, sports writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. Marisa, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, what's up? Thanks so much. Glad to have you. Well, Joel, let me start with you. So the Pac-12 pretty much melted down last week with all these teams departing the conference. I, I really am curious what your reaction was to the news. Well, in a lot of ways, now it seems sort of inevitable. Um, you know, once USC and UCLA left, so you've lost your anchor programs in LA, one of the biggest media markets in the country. 
they're not there. And so it was already sort of teetering uh, for a while. And then when Colorado left a couple of weeks ago and, and uh, decamped for the Big 12, it was just sort of, it seems like it was like a matter of time. Um, yeah. It didn't seem like there was going to be much of a way for them to hold it together. And, you know, the big thing for the Pac-12 was they were waiting on these media rights deal, see how much money they were going to get. Well, how good is that going to be if you don't have L.A. to sell, right? Um, so it just kind of seemed like it was inevitable. And ultimately, it kind of all fell apart in, in, in roughly the same time. I mean, I, I, maybe the, the timing of it, maybe that that everybody, you know, that Oregon and Washington got a kind of a lifeline to go to the Big Ten may have been a little bit of a surprise because they weren't in the, they didn't get invited last year. So it didn't make a lot of sense why they were invited this year. But um, at in the end of the day, looking at, all back at it, it all sort of seems inevitable in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's sad. It's sad. Yeah. Marisa, what sort of emotions bubbled up for you or what went through your mind? Yeah, I mean, for me, I just think about what a football-driven move this is and how it affects so many more people than people involved in football. Um, I think about the women's athletes, the Olympic athletes who uh, came to the Pac-12 for a reason because it's been such a strong conference for uh, those non-traditional sports or for things that just, like, frankly, aren't football or men's basketball. I don't mean those sports, too, but uh, I I think about football, like... uh, those teams are going to be a lot more fine than like women's soccer, volleyball, squash, whatever. And um, yeah, I'm just kind of concerned for what the future is going to look like for women's sports collegiately as a whole, because the Pac-12 has really been a driver for all of those. Yeah. Ray, where are you with this? I know there are some details of a possible deal with the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC emerging but how are you feeling? Did you feel a sense of, of loss? Not of loss, but, and I think Joel sort of referred to this earlier, um, it's an inevitability. Uh, college sports is shrinking. It's now, in some ways, a regional um, power again, rather than being a national one, because all the power is essentially in the Southeastern Conference, the Big Ten, which is largely the Midwest. And to a lesser extent, the Big 12, which is the southwestern part of the country. Um, There is no real room in the West um, to be part of that new landscape other than uh, Seattle, Eugene, which is essentially the state of Nike, and Los Angeles. And everything else can largely go hang because that's the way college sports has been going for essentially a decade now, and it's only going to ratchet up faster. The teams that are that survived this time in many ways will not survive the next move. And I'm talking about, you know, your Northwesterns, your Vanderbilts, your Iowa States, uh, schools without big television markets. At some point, uh, the big cats are going to start eating the small cats who are still in the den. Mm. And that's coming. So people who are talking about a 64-team um, new version of college sports, in about five years, they're going to be looking at 50 or maybe even 45. Well, I want to dig into each of the things that all three of you are raising, but just want to start with the latest. So we know that Stanford and Cal are desperately looking for a place to land, a home at this moment. What are you hearing about a possible merger with the ACC, Ray? Any I'm details? Hearing, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing that it's largely a pipe dream 
because the key for the ACC, which doesn't like its current uh, TV contract, um, would have to convince ESPN to pony up more money to take the two uh, Bay Area schools. And I don't think they want to do that yet. Be and, I, well, and I know ESPN doesn't want to give them any more money. And it's important to realize, I think at this point, that this is largely a construct of ESPN and Fox, who are the two big uh, network players in college sports. So unless Florida State, which has been making noises about leaving, although I don't know where they're going to go yet, uh, there is no compelling reason for, there's no compelling financial reason for the ACC to want to take in two schools so far out of their natural natural constituency. So I think it's it's talk, it's an indication of how much chaos there is from the outside. But from the inside, the people who pay attention to this stuff don't see a natural financial or uh, emotional fit for, for Cal or Stanford. Yeah, and when you're talking about natural constituency, you're talking about schools like Duke and UNC, and it's just so hard to wrap my mind around that. Um, and Joel, if a merger doesn't happen, then what options are Cal and Stanford left with? Well, uh, none of them are good. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> so, uh, you, so you're talking about potentially a merger with the Mountain West Conference, which has schools like San Jose State, uh, Fresno State, Boise State, which is, you know, re regionally appropriate, but that's small-time sports uh, for all, you know, for all intents and purposes. I mean, you're talking about right now, the Pac-12, they were getting promised something like close to, you know, a little over $22 million, $23 million a year through what would have been the Apple streaming package. Well, the Mountain West TV package, each team gets about, about $4 million a year in terms of revenue. That's a tremendous loss, man. That would require Stanford, Cal, uh, maybe Washington State and Oregon State, if they get invited to do some, I mean, a tremendous amount of either fundraising or, or, or layoffs. Like there's just not a lot of way to make that, to make those mm -hmm. big athletic departments work. So you maybe you got that, or maybe you take what is left of the remains of the Pac-12, these four teams, and you invite in a San Diego State, um, which was, already seemingly poised to join, join the Pac-12 maybe a, about a month ago and add in Boise State, add in UNLV so you get the Vegas market. Maybe you can do that. Or if you're Stanford, and I don't, this is less likely for Cal, there's been some talk about them trying to go at independent, which, I mean, brings its own range of problems. Uh, you know, you you got to figure out your own media rights deal. You've got to find people to play all these other, you know, all these other sports. You've got to, you know, find games for them to play and going independent is a much more difficult path. So, um, yeah, man, I mean, it, yeah, I know Ray was talking about the ACC seems really unlikely and it's just talk, but it, it, it sounds terrible to say, but it might actually be the best remaining scenario for Stanford to Cal in the absence of all these other bad, op you know, in, in the absence of other good options, because right now they just don't have a lot of places to go right now. Yeah. But Marisa, even if they are able to make this deal, what kind of impact, can you just help us understand what kind of an impact being part of a conference with so many Atlantic Coast schools would have on student athletes here? Yeah, I mean, it's all like pretty bad. I mean, we've talked a lot about, or I mean, just like in general, there's been a lot of coverage about like 
USC and UCLA last year announcing they're going to the Big Ten at Oregon and Washington. And talk about like, oh, my God, they're going to have to play games at Rutgers and New Jersey and stuff like that. Um, if Stanford or Cal were to go to the ACC, it would be um, a lot worse than that because they're going to be at like Boston College or Miami or Duke or whatever um, for conference games. And I mean, again, with football, that's a lot less of a concern. But then you get into like, again, like volleyball or whatever these uh, women's or Olympic sports primarily. I don't think Stanford volleyball is going to want to play like a, a Wednesday night game at UNC, like in the middle of finals or whatever in December. Like, um it's going to be a problem and like once again we're seeing just women's and olympic sports anything that isn't football or men's basketball just kind of being um not prioritized um for those student athletes and i mean i worry a lot about what impact it's going to have for the future of stanford women's sports in particular because you look at like the u.s women's national soccer team where stanford's been basically like a minor league feeder system uh their women's soccer team like all these options, like Joel was saying, are bad. Like, so if you're a player who could have gone to UCLA or Stanford, like we've seen a few players make those decisions the past few years, are you going to opt to go play for a team that you have to go uh, across the country um, every other week uh, during conference play? Or or in the Mountain West, your competition isn't going to be that good? Or are you going to go to a conference where at least you're going to have, like, uh, it's going to be a lot more competitive and you're going to have more opportunity, especially because at Stanford, NIL's been not as good um, it just, it looks bad overall for uh, two programs at Cal and Stanford where women's and Olympic sports have been kind of the gold standard across the country. And it just seems like that's going to go downhill and that's just kind of bad for everyone. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's yeah. not being recognized because we're in, in the football discussion. Right. I mean, you're talking about impacts on recruitment. You're talking about exhausting and costly travel schedules. I mean, how much time are they going to have to actually be students? Um, and so much more. We're getting into all of what the demise of the Pac-12 could mean for college athletes, for athletic departments at California schools, for California college sports. And we'll have more after the break. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour about the future of college sports in California after the collapse of the Pac-12. We're talking with Marisa and Jemmy, sports writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, Ray Ratto, staff writer for The Defector, a former sports writer and columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and San Francisco Examiner. We're also talking with Joel Anderson, former reporter on sports, culture, and politics for ESPN. You can catch him on Slate, where he hosts the Slow Burn and Hang Up and Listen podcasts. And we're talking 
with you, our listeners. If you are a Pac-12 fan, what was your reaction to the news? Are you a current or former Pac-12 athlete? How are you taking this in? What questions do you have about how this happened? Who do you blame? Maybe there are some favorite moments from the history of the Pac-12 that you want to share or individual athletes of the league developed that really stand out to you. You can do so by calling 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, the email address forum at kqed.org. Find us on social, on Facebook, Instagram, threads. We're at KQED Forum. And Fred writes... What is sad is that these brilliant universities will now only be known for leaving an athletic consortium. It's now all about the money, and these schools sold out to gambling and money. They did not have the courage to stay the course and produce excellence. I, uh, Ray, you earlier in the program were just talking a little bit about how you know, these big five power conferences were sort of divided regionally and geographically, right? Can you just talk about... Just before all of these shakeups, before people just started to move everywhere and, and geography really didn't seem to, to matter, what the power of regional conferences were? Um, I don't know that it was a power. It was simply the most logical way for uh, conferences to sort of congeal. Um, the Southeastern conferences, as you know, is implied in the name, largely was, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, the old Confederacy, the, the southeastern corner of the country. Uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference was up the Atlantic Coast to up to Maryland. Um, the Big Ten was the Rust Belt and the upper Midwest. The Big 12, which used to be the Big Eight, was the southwestern part of the country. And the Pac-8, which became the Pac-10, and then eventually the 12, was the West Coast. It was just easy geographical ways for schools that may not have had much in common other than geography to create um, sort of organizations where, you know, you knew where you were based on where your campus was. Yeah. And that, that started to change about 45 years ago when the PAC-8 reached out and got Arizona and Arizona State from the old Western Athletic Conference. And while it doesn't seem like a lot now, it was the first real example of poaching schools in bulk to make your own sort of television media footprint look bigger. Mm. And it not much happened after that till about 10 years ago when it became clear that there were fewer and fewer power brokers in media who were involved in, you know, generating money for colleges and making money from them that it suddenly became what it looks like now, which is the Wild West on steroids. <laughs> well, I guess what I mean, Joel Anderson, when I say sort of the power of it, I, I'm talking a little bit about the practicalities, yes, of, of being able to be closer to the schools that you're competing against, but but also just the rise of these intense and incredibly fun and memory-making regional rivalries could you just talk a little bit about that? Because I hear a lot of people lamenting that these days, even though it's been a little while. Well, I'll, I'll talk about this from my own personal perspective. I'm from Houston, Texas, and I grew up in a time when the Southwest Conference was the dominant conference in the state. It was the eight uh, Division One playing football programs in Texas, plus Arkansas. And there was a lot of fun in that. Um, you, Your neighbors, your friends family members. I had family members from Arkansas. And so whenever my favorite teams from Texas, which University of Houston would play Arkansas, 
I could talk trash with my family members um, about those games and we could go see them or we could watch them on TV. Um, that's the sort of stuff that you, you get. And my, my first year of college, I actually played football briefly at TCU. I'd, my whole life I'd wanted to play in the Southwest Conference where you play against Texas Tech, um, Texas A&M, you know, uh, Baylor, all these schools that were familiar to me. But what ended up happening is when the Southwest Conference folded, in came the Western Athletic Conference, which was the first 16-team conference. And it, you know, had BYU, Utah, San Diego State, Hawaii, all these schools that were all over the Western Conference and in the Pacific Coast time zone. But I didn't grow up caring about those teams or rooting for them. I didn't know a lot about them. And so it was really hard for TCU and all these other people in Texas to build these sort of bonds uh, and to build the same sort of enmity and, you know, just the sort of the, the familiarity you get from paying against people that are right up the street from you. So that that sort of stuff, it really gets lost. I mean, right now, TCU is in a league um, with some of those closer teams or whatever, but I've never cared about them playing Kansas State or West Virginia or Kansas other than the win and loss of it all. But like in terms of creating the rivalries that these regional conferences used to have in the 80s and 90s, that stuff isn't there. And I think that we're seeing that over and over again. It's not like Maryland or Rutgers have, developed some big rivalries in the Big Ten since they got called up. They just didn't happen to be in the league. And I, I think that's what, you know, Oregon and Washington fans are going to maybe find out. Um, maybe it seems really cool to play Purdue or Indiana right now or go to Michigan State. But um, isn't it cooler to, like, beat up on your neighbor? That's, that's kind of <laughs> what I think college football is. And college, and college sports, period, it should, should be about in some ways, at least. Yeah. And Joel, do you also just want to uh, mention a few of the individual athletes that the Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-8 developed um, that really, really stand out to you that you think, you know, oh, made man. this league so cool, right? <laughs> and sort of forward-looking oh, in a lot of people's minds. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a middle-aged guy, so I go back a ways. But, I, you know, so, I mean, I always thought of the USC teams, just like sort of the image of the USC player, which, you know, the, Pac-12, the Pac-10, Pac-12 also has like a real history in terms of like being one of the first conferences to integrate so they had like the first big black players in this country in, in a lot of ways and so i think about a guy like um you know uh marcus allen watching a guy like that or watching you know Keyshawn johnson when he played at usc in the early the mid 90s um he was there was just something so uh, visually arresting about watching him out there and then of course like you know you go to the 2000s the reggie bushes the matt Leinerts, um you know, the, the the Dwayne Jarrett's, you know, those USC teams were about as glamorous of as it gets in college football. I still don't think even like Miami, you know, has a lot of sway over people that are from my era. But like the glamour of those USC teams in the early aughts is something that really hasn't been recaptured in college mm-hmm. football, even though it's sort of grown in popularity in the southeast. And that's the kind of stuff that you'll miss because, I mean, L.A. can give you that right. Um, give you that that sort of celebrity college football player. Yeah. And Marisa, you were bringing up just Stanford as a pipeline to for Olympic athletes and so on. Who are the individuals or, or coaches even or, or folks that just really stand out to you from this league? It's got such a storied history. Yeah, I mean, you just look across the women's sports landscape right now. I mean, we were all just watching the Women's World Cup and on that team alone, Alex Morgan from Cal and then from Stanford, Sophia Smith, Naomi Gurma, um, all these big names. And you look across the WNBA, um, there's just so many people um Laisha Clarendon who's one of the biggest um I think um just faces of the gender movement in sports went to Cal and they play in the WNBA now for the Sparks like 
there's just there uh, Katie Ledecky, who's like maybe the best swimmer <laughs> of all time um, in America, at least at Stanford. Like uh, you, you can just go down the list forever and ever at like all these different sports. Um, Cassie Lippman from Stanford volleyball, who's really made an impact in a group of that sport in this country. Um, yeah. And I mean, those are kind of the names that are being lost in this. Like there are going to be, Again, looking at soccer in particular, you look at the women's national team and how much more development they're going to need from young players. Like, I worry about where they're going to come from, if not the Pac-12, because other than UNC, like, uh, across the country, we've just seen the U-17 and the U-20 World Cup teams, um, the U.S. teams struggle a lot, and uh, they don't have as many Pac-12 players. Like, it's just concerning long-term that, like, these names are going to get lost, these legacies are going to get lost, because it's just not going to be prioritized. And I think that's kind of the big message coming out of all of this. And Ray, you've been touching on this, and now I really want to get into it, just how much the business of college sports now has come to be driven by by TV money. Can you help us understand now how, how that transition is playing out uh, for those of us who may not have been following it as closely, maybe, as we should now that we're seeing the demise? Well, I'll put it as simply as I can. College sports is football in terms of what we're talking about today. All the things that are going to be radically changed that Marissa just described are of no consequence to the people who drove this latest version of uh, conference poaching because football is so large a part of athletic departments, financial uh, programs. Um, Washington State is uh, running a nine-figure debt, and they're not going to be able to make that up by being in the situation they're in now. And they were struggling to make it up even when they were part of the conference because the Pac-12 of the big conferences was the one that could never get the television deals right. So in a very cynical way, this is entirely about football because the the power brokers are from conferences who prioritize football to the almost ex- exclusivity of any other sport. None of the others matter to them because football generates the most money because in the Southeast and the Midwest, football is king in a way it never was on the West Coast. And it's also the part of the country that has the fewest number of pro teams encroaching on their their market. So they have the monopoly that allows them to charge whatever they need to get from the the networks that still exist. And the big problem that places like the Pac-12 have was they couldn't figure out the TV money in time. And that's why they got left at the altar. And even though the Big 12's TV market, uh, TV um, contracts are not as lucrative, they're lucrative enough for the schools they have. And they chose at a time when the Big, when the Pac-12 didn't, to grow even if they couldn't sustain it so that their, their footprint would be bigger. And we saw essentially last week what happened was the Big 12 survives and grows the Pac-12 is now, you know, their club teams. Well, I'm struck by this comment from Don, who writes, still not sure of the importance of sports conference. Why do you need to be 
in a conference. And Joel, I, I also wonder, <clears throat> you know, the Bay Area in particular, let's just say, it's just not as crazy about college football as other parts of the country. I, I just, what, do you think that plays a role in this too? And in terms of just the power of its ability to command, you know, a media market that. I think it, I think it does. I've lived out here for about eight years and I've lived all over, you know, a lot of the places Ray was talking about, you know, uh, you know, Florida, Louisiana, I'm from Texas, Georgia. So yeah, I've had opportunity to kind of take in the football culture here and it is very different. It's just not, is meaningful. I mean, even down to the facilities that the high schools have. If you go to the South, particularly Texas, you'll see stadiums, indoor facilities, you know, things that are just seem, that would seem crazy here. And the money that is poured into it um, is just something that doesn't happen here. And there's one other thing that I think that kind of, you know, has sort of caught my attention as I think about the Bay and sort of its, um, you know, relative disinterest in the game in that way is that, you know, we know this. Black people are disproportionately represented at elite levels of football. That's from NFL pro bowlers to five-star recruits. They make up more than half of the population in football at those levels, right? Well, we know something about the Bay is that the percentage of Black Americans living here has gone down, not just in the Bay, but in California in general. And Black people have been forced to move to, you know, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Georgia, Texas, other places where it's more affordable. And so that makes it, you have less of a pool of people to pick from that tend to excel at football out here. So I think that that is maybe sort of an underrated factor here that, you know, the housing crisis, there are a lot of reasons that the housing crisis is bad, much more important reasons, but that is just seems to me one particular factor that maybe has been overlooked that, you know, one reason it, it, it hasn't caught on and it hasn't, you know, maintained the popularity that it has in other places because it's just not the people here for it anymore. Yeah. We're talking with Joel Anderson, a staff writer at Slate, Ray Ratto, a staff writer at The Defector, and Marissa and Jemmy, sports writer at the San Francisco Chronicle. And we're talking with you, our listeners, at 866-733-6786. Also, by email, forum at kqed.org and our social channels at KQED Forum. Tell us how you're reacting to the news, your connection to the Pac-12, the questions that you have about it, the memories that you have. Caroline writes, what do the student athletes get out of this? I know rules have been changed to allow student athletes to be financially rewarded for their play. How do those fit in? It seems very unfortunate that institutions of higher learning have ostensibly become focused on making money from media and gambling instead of focusing on the student athlete school experience and developing their talents on and off the field and preparing them to be successful after they graduate. Not that we need more legislation, but who is looking out for the students' interests? Marissa, do you want to take that? And and also, I know you spoke with some students or have been following some student comments that you've been seeing. If you also want to just touch on what you've seen. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of conflating realignment and NIL when I, I don't think weaponizing uh, the NIL conversation. I don't think it's I mean, like, it's related a little bit, I guess. But at the same time, like, athletes being able to financially benefit from their labor isn't the problem here. Um, it's, it's again, just the the conference realignment is driven by football revenue and, um, TV deals as Ray and Joel have hit on, um, a lot here. Um, as far as like student athlete, like well-being, we've seen some softball players at Oregon tweet their displeasure. I've talked to some athletes in lacrosse and gymnastics and a few other sports at Cal and who are just kind of concerned about like, okay, well, I came to the Pac-12 on purpose. Like what now? Like I wanted to be at Cal. I wanted to be at Stanford, whatever it is. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, right now, I think the it, the main concern for um, student athletes, I mean, the school year is just beginning now. Uh, soccer, field hockey, volleyball, fall sports practices are beginning right now for men and women's athletes. And I think um, they're just kind of wondering, like, okay, if, what what happens after this year? Like, do I want to look into transferring? Do I want to go to a smaller conference um, on the West Coast so I can stay closer to home like I intended to? Do I want to go somewhere else where I don't have to travel as much? Like, I, I think right now, I mean, I talked to some athletes at Cal who are like, we're waiting to hear from the school about what we're supposed to do next. Like, there hasn't been communication. Um, I, I think right now a lot of the problem is no one really knows what to do. And part of that is like, we don't know where Cal or Stanford are going to end up if they end up anywhere, not independent or whatever. But um, yeah, the athletes right now, they're really confused. They're concerned. They don't know um, where they're going to be a year from now, six months from now, if they can stay at a school that they originally intended to go to. Well, Cynthia writes, don't forget the climate impact of USC and UCLA's move to the Big Ten. More cross-country flights, more greenhouse gas emissions, short-term revenue, again, ignoring long-term costs. Tom writes, Cal alum, I hope UCLA and USC just get run over in the Big Ten every year. Another listener writes, Zach, let's call a spade a spade. Big time college football is a pro sport. It should be treated as such. We are hearing your reactions to the demise of the Pac-12 conference, what it means for college sports. Joel Anderson is with us of Slate, Ray Ratto, staff writer for The Defector, a former sports writer and columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle and SF Examiner. Marissa and Jemmy is with us, sports writer for the San Francisco Chronicle as well. And with all, as always, you, our listeners, are sharing your thoughts and reactions. We'll get more of them after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the future of college sports in California after the collapse of the Pac-12. How are you reacting to this? What questions do you have? What Pac-12 moments will you never forget? The ball is still loose as they get it to Rogers. They give it back now to the 30. They're down to the 20. All the band is out on the field. He's going to go into the end zone. He's going to go into the end zone. 
have won! The Bears have won! Oh my God! The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, heart-rending, exciting, thrilling finish in the history of college football! That is, of course, the play. Are there moments that you will never forget? Are there individuals that you want to shout out? Or are there just questions you have about how we got here? Email forum at kqed.org. Find us on social media, KQED Forum. Call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Let me go to caller Phil in Burlingame. Hi, Phil. Join us. Hi. So I have a question. So, you know, these schools have to go to regular broadcasters and, and the PAC conferences. Um, why haven't um, the schools or the conferences formed their own cable news network um, and kind of taking control of the revenue stream? Aren't they a little bit at the mercy of um, hmm. network executives? Thanks, Phil. Ray? Um, the Pac-12 tried to do that with something called the Pac-12 Network, but, and this was pointed out in the you know, last several days by people who follow college sports, is that there are a lot of college presidents who don't really understand um, the modern television slash streaming media, and the Pac-12 could never get a distribution deal to go along with their planned network. They could never get on direct TV, for example. And they were always sort of behind the curve there because the SEC network got distribution right away. Uh, the big the big the big ten, which was the the uh, the pioneer in all this, got distribution right away. The Pac-12 never did. And even in this last round of negotiations with Apple, um, they couldn't figure out how to wrap their minds around the fact that in the short term, they were going to make less money than the Big Ten and the SEC. So this is in part uh, a failure to recognize where the media is going. And in large part, the fact that the Pac-12 could not deliver the kind of eyeballs that the the SEC or, or the Big Ten could for the satisfaction of Fox and ESPN. So it's sort of a vicious cycle in that the Pac-12 didn't know what it was doing and they didn't know what they could sell to make it look like they knew what they were doing. So between those two things, they put themselves behind two different eight balls at the same time. And the result was this. Ray, do you blame the regents, the state at all, just for allowing UCLA to leave um, as part of this as well? I mean, I know there's a lot of responsibility in terms of the commissioners and and also just the TV, uh, Fox, as you say, and, and the other networks. But, but I, what responsibility, if anything, do you think the state bears, the regents bear? Um. Again, I think they didn't pay enough attention to what the new dynamic of college sports is. And it's not just that the regions couldn't figure out how to keep UCLA corralled. It's that they are, like most athletic directors and a, a growing number of college presidents, they're not educators, they're businessmen. And they understand what today's bottom line is. And today's bottom line 
basically says, you've got to get what you can while you can, because in five years, this is all going to change again. So UCLA went for the quick money because it needed to. Their athletic department was, you know, massively in debt. USC was going, you know, to whoever the highest bidder was because they weren't held by the regents. They're a private university. And as time went on, it became clearer and clearer that the money was not going to be found on the West Coast because the Pac-12 couldn't figure out how to cash in on being the Pac-12. So I don't know how much responsibility they bear, given the fact that they only know what they know and what they know is where's the business? Because ultimately, this isn't about sports or education. It's about where's the cash today? I mean, in five years, ESPN is going to be radically different. Uh, They might be owned in part, if not entirely, by professional leagues who they've already started to talk to about selling a piece of their action. So it's really about um, the nature of entertainment changing and the regents and the college presidents and not getting that. And the athletic director is saying, I've got to make money or I'm fired. So I'm going to go with the place that offers the least resistance and the most short-term cash. And that's what they did in this case. And, and Mina and Ray, can yeah, you if I jump in? Please. Because, yeah, five years is a really long time in football, too. Like, first of all, to be behind the eight ball on revenue like that for five years is a big deal. But five years can make all the difference in how far your program, is, how it's perceived nationally. Like, let's just think, if you go back five years for Stanford football, you're talking about one of the best programs in the country. Five years ago, they hit. They were a consistent conference, uh, a Pac-12 championship contender in football. They played in the Rose Bowl in 2015, in 2012, in 2013. So we're talking about like if this, if all of this retrenchment happens five years ago, it's unlikely that Stanford gets left out because they've got a football team that people watch and that is good and people were familiar with across the country, but. Now we come to a point which they've kind of sunk to the bottom of the league. There's a lot of disinterest. The state, you know, people aren't showing up to games anymore. They haven't appeared in a Pac-12 title game uh, since, you know, I think 2017. So it's just those five years can make a tremendous, a tremendous difference. So, you, you know, to raise point, you've got to kind of seize on the opportunity while it presents itself because there's no guarantee that you're going to be in the same position in 20. You know, 2028. Well, Joe, let me put this comment from a listener to you. The listener writes, is it possible for sports other than football and basketball to form a West Coast League? Or maybe even if you just cut out football, that's that's me, not this person, to cut mm-hmm. down on travel. I, I mean, is there like a way to reorganize so that you just can make football its own thing? Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's sort of a model for that right now in Notre Dame. Notre Dame is an independent football program. It's not affiliated with any conference, but it's athletic teams play in the ACC and all the other sports. Um, so it is something that is currently being done. And I mean, some of the other sports like hockey, for instance, like there's, you know, th- those schools play in all sorts of different other leagues or whatever. So it's very possible. It's just whether or not you know, um, the schools, the conferences themselves would be willing to allow these teams to build these affiliations outside of their purview. Um, but that's something that's very possible, something that I think may become more in vogue uh, as these conferences become more untenable uh, and the travel becomes more ridiculous. I, I do think that that's going to be something that comes up 
uh, in the next five years, right? Um, so yeah, that's that's totally reasonable. Well, the Zisner yeah. writes, regardless of what faculty administrators think of athletics, Cal athletics is too big to fail. The steady of debt and the loss of revenue would create a halo effect that would impact other areas of campus and even other UC campuses. If Cal and Stanford are saved by the ACC or another P4 conference, will Berkeley contribute more resources to their revenue programs to ensure it doesn't get left out of the next round of realignment? Marissa, is that where the attention should be? Yeah, I mean, you look at a, a Cal being too big to fail is a good way of putting it. They are in massive athletic debt, a lot of it to do with their stadium and fixing it because it was built on a literal fault line. Um, yeah, I mean, when I look at the programs that aren't football or even football to an extent, I guess, um, at Cal and Stanford, I worry more about Cal and the cuts they're going to end up having to make because Stanford has a larger endowment. They've tried to cut sports before and alumni have stepped up. Um Cal really hasn't had the, I mean, I just, I worry a lot for what's going to end up happening to some of those smaller programs to try to survive the the debt and what's going to end up happening, depending on what conference they go into. And I want to hit on what Joel said as well, because I think he's so right about the Notre Dame model and the college hockey model and even college lacrosse to an extent. Um, there's a good chance we see some of these other teams and other conferences. I talked to someone um, an exec at a school in the WCC yesterday who is like, yeah, like we would love to have Stanford women's basketball here for sure. We don't have football, but they can go somewhere else. So, yeah, I, I think that even like a month, a couple months from now, this conversation is going to look at what the model for college sports with football kind of being its own thing is going to look like. Um, women's basketball coaches since last year when UCLA and USC um decided they were going to the Big Ten, like women's basketball coaches were saying, yeah, we'd like to be our own thing, have football be its own thing. Um, I, I think that's something that we're going to end up seeing be the inevitable model because otherwise it, it's just going to be impossible for these schools, especially schools like Cal that do have as much debt as they have to like, I mean, it's going to cost them more money to be flying all these places too. Yeah. Um, so I think Cal's going to kind of be where we see a lot of these changes happen first, maybe. Well, let me go um, to call. Call her Mary in Sunnyvale. Sorry. And then I'll go to you, Ray. Was that you? Um, Mary, go ahead. Yes. Hi. Can you hear me okay? I can. Go right ahead. You're on. Great. Um, so I have three boys that all played high school football in the Bay Area. And um, as my youngest one was getting into football, fewer and fewer schools were able to field teams because fewer and fewer kids were going out for the sport. And I think there's just so much more knowledge and attention on the dangers of the sport that a lot of parents were choosing not to let their kids play football. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is is also driving a lot of change in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, I also grew up in the Midwest where college football was huge. And I moved to California after college and and realized very quickly that a lot of people are just outdoors on the weekends rather than watching college football. <laughs> yeah. so, I went to Michigan, Mary, so yeah, <laughs> a little different. <laughs> um, thanks, yeah. thanks so much for the call. Let me remind listeners that we're talking with you listeners, with Marissa and Jemmy, Ray Ratto, and Joel Anderson, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Well, Pete tweets, I've been a Stanford man since Bill Walsh was the football coach and John McEnroe helped Stanford win a national tennis title. I watched Janet Evans set world records. I think this is a travesty. All about dollars and casinos. I'll continue to support Stanford regardless. 
Mark writes, I spent four wonderful years at Stanford from 1977 to 1981. We had two years of Bill Walsh, two years of John Elway, one year of John McEnroe. Lost count of how many NCAA titles we won. We were amateur athletes. Big-time college football is now a de facto professional sport at most Division I schools. Ivy League-level institutions where there is life outside of football can no longer compete in this type of business environment. So I heard some reporting about the Big Ten and whether or not um, Stanford and Cal could join the Big Ten. Ray, have you heard anything about this? And is that just a pipe dream? I think people have been firing out rumors in every way, shape, and form ever (laughs) since the dominoes started to fall because this is one of those stories where the reality happened faster than the people imagining it could figure out. I think it's conceivable, but again, the question becomes, is ESPN or Fox in this case going to lay out more money to to cover more teams coming in? Because when Oregon and Washington joined the Big Ten, they were told you're not going to get a full TV share until the next TV contract. And if you bring in two more teams, the money from the network is not going to change, which means each individual school is going to have to take a little bit less. Um, And that's going to happen for until the next contract, which I believe is 2028. So what you're getting into now is does Ohio state want to, eat a slightly smaller piece of the pie to allow Cal and Stanford to come in, even though they don't really have any real affinity toward either school one way or the other. And I think in the short term, probably not. I mean, the odds against, you know, these conferences growing again after this last burst of hyperactivity is pretty thin until the TV contracts have to be redone. Because that's the real calendar in college sports now is when do we have to renegotiate our deals? And when that happens, you're going to see more volatility. Um, The ACC is in a significant bit bit of disadvantage right now because their TV contract with ESPN runs until 2034. Um, So that's really the new calendar of, of college sports. It's When does our TV deal end up? And Mm. when it does, then you're going to see more scrambling. And and that might be the time when you start to see schools in those existing conferences, like the ACC, like like the Big Ten, suddenly start shedding some of its less popular members to make sure that their slice of the pie remains high. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're we're in a cannibalizing moment in college sports. Mm. And I see no reason why that's going to change anytime soon. Well, this is right. Some of the best sports memory moments in my memory come out of fierce yet often friendly rivalries between schools with long histories and affinities. What will the dissolution of the PAC 12 mean for the cherished rivalries? So you agree, Joel Anderson, no uh, big 10 West with some semblance of, of the biggest rivalries surviving. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it's really hard to argue that this round of realignment, which really has been sort of going on for the last 30 years when Arkansas left the Southwest Conference, like that kicked off this big round of it. And there's not been a lot of new rivalries that have been created in that time. But I 
I, I, my, I think sort of my overarching thought here is that and maybe this is unpopular. People can feel free to disagree with me if you want. I think people, Stanford and Cal Friends should relax. Um, they've been left out of this realignment right now. Um, and it is bad. I mean, there's no getting around it. We don't, they don't know how they're going to make it for the next couple of years if they don't link up with the ACC or the American Conference, which is another potential mm -hmm. opportunity. Mm -hmm. But if I really don't envision a future in college football or major college sports where brands of, along the lines of Stanford or Cal are left out. I think that when they get a chance to do whatever this great realignment is again, you know, and the TV deals are up, people are going to look and say, oh, wait, no, we do want a presence out on California. We do value having one of the, you know, top pro Olympic producing uh, schools in this country, Olympic athlete producing schools in this country. One of the more prestigious, you know, athletic programs of all time, like Stanford, there used to be, it used to be called the Sears Trophy. Now it's called the Learfield Trophy. Year after year after year, it ranks among the top two or three programs in the country, if not the best. So I do think that like whenever there's this great reorganization that Stanford and Cal will eventually get back into it. But, you know, for the immediate future, it's going to be pretty bad. And they'll just have to kind of, you know, uh, play Cal, maybe figure out if, if they can stomach playing San Jose State, uh, you know, some of these other nearest schools in the meantime, so until they can uh, figure it out in the future. Well, Marissa, any any hopeful notes for California college sports in the last 10 seconds that we have? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we kind of have to wait and see what the schools do. We've seen Stanford have a willingness to cut its um, Olympic and women's sports before. And now that it could be another dire circumstance, like I just won't be surprised kind of whatever happens from here to those to those programs. Ah, that's not oval, but that's OK. <laughs> <laughs> It's just start. so hard. You're right. It's just so hard to know. This is really evolving and we're keeping an eye on it. Thank you so much, Marissa and Jemmy. Really appreciate having you on of the San Francisco Chronicle, Ray Ratto of The Defector, Joel Anderson of Slate. And thank you listeners for sharing your questions, your memories, your concerns. Thank you, Dan Zoll, for producing today's segment. You have been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.